0: Um, As we move into our time of giving for the Community Care Fund, it's a good reminder that uh, we come to worship, not to get, actually. It's the wrong question to ask after worship. What What did you get out of that? We actually come to worship to give, to give our praise, to give our lament, to give to the God who has given us so much. And a very tangible way to do that is through our offering. We actually give as an act of worship. That's what we do, a sign of everything else. And after our offering, we'll have a time of prayer. And we'll be praying today for our friend, uh, Vice President Shirley Hoekstra. Her dad passed away on Friday. Uh, Her dad left a legacy of faith. Um, His name, if you want to Google the obituary, uh, is Bill Vogelzang. William Vogelzang of Holland, Michigan. And it's an obit that you want to read because it's a life that points unwaveringly to his steadfast belief in Jesus Christ and that everything he had in life was a gift from God. And Shirley was able, along with her family, to be at his bed on Friday when he made the transition into glory. And so we stand with that family as they mourn the death and yet celebrate the new life of their dad. So now we'll take our offering and then we'll have a time of prayer together. Give because God has given so much to us. You, O Lord, are our heart's desire. Our soul longs after you. We thank you, God, that we can gather together with brothers and sisters who are eager for you. Some of us know you well. We've been following you for a long time. You have called us by name. Some of us are new to this conversation. We're new to this expression of faith and we thank you that when we come to worship it doesn't matter it doesn't matter how long we've been following or if we know you or if we believe we are welcome here in this place because you are a god who gives and gives and gives we thank you for your generosity to Shirley Hogstra and her family for answering their prayers for the transition for their father from life to death to life that they were gentle and surrounded by moments of your goodness and expressions of your care. And we pray for this family now as they gather from all over the world to honor the life of their father and grandfather. And more than that, to celebrate the life that you have given all of us in Jesus Christ. For in times of death, this is the only thing that sustains us. We think of those who gathered this week on Wednesday to mark the life of Eric de Grote, so full of life and joy, and now gone. And his friends and family suffer, Lord. They wonder where you are. It feels like for them things have gone from bad to worse. The sorrow is deep. And so we pray, gracious God, in your mercy. You will remind them of the word that was preached this week, that these things we call to mind, and therefore we have hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And so, God, show up morning after morning as these students who miss their friend have to focus on their schoolwork. Have to apply for internships and jobs, have to negotiate relationships. Lord, give them wisdom. Be tender to them. And for Eric's family, Lord, we pray that you continue to bring healing. Be merciful to them. Lord, without the resurrection, where would we be? Where would we be? The sufferings and the troubles of this world, the laments that Ellie spoke of so eloquently, would just be too much. It would be too much. But as our friend Ryan wrote in his editorial about Eric's death, it is the resurrection that overwhelms the overwhelming. And so, Lord, we claim that promise today. And this is why we worship, even in times of heartache and loss, even in times of sorrow and confusion, when we don't know where you are because of the resurrection. So bring that to mind. Help us to call it to mind. And we think of all of those in our community who are a bit too ashamed to say what their struggle is. Maybe it's homesickness, and they think, I'm a junior, I should really be over this by now, and yet there it is. Maybe it's an eating disorder that's plagued someone for a long time. Maybe it's an addiction that they're just too embarrassed to even name. Lord, you are a God who longs to set people free. And you do that when we speak of these things to each other, when we say them out loud, because then the power of the one who enslaves is taken away. And so, Lord, if there are things that we are carrying as a community, as a floor, as a house, in relationship to each other within our own souls that need to be spoken, that need to be confessed, then, Lord, give us the courage to do it. And meet us there. Put to death in us the things that need to die so that you can bring to life the things that need to live. We thank you for the story of Exodus. Last week, we saw your heart for your people. You know their sufferings. And Lord, that reminds us that you know our sufferings. What an amazing thing it is to have a God who doesn't stand far off but comes very, very near. Oh, Lord. We are so blessed to be your children. And so as we open up this story again, this old story, make it sing, make it live, make it breathe for us, tell us again of resurrection. We pray this through Jesus Christ, the resurrection and the life. Amen. We are up to Exodus 5. Exodus 5, page 45. we we'll read the last little bit of chapter 4 and the first little bit of chapter 6. But it's Exodus 5 that we'll be thinking about. Page 45 in your Pew Bibles. You guys need Bibles? You're good. I know where to find more. You got it here. You got it all up here. It's got it all up here. (laughs) Recite for us, will you? The book of... Uh, If you come and you're you're in a zone that doesn't have a Bible because sometimes the things that move, behind the posts, the brick posts, there are stacks of them. So, um, and if you're a person who would like a Bible and you don't have a Bible, would you take a Bible? It's okay. Just... Just tell us where you took it from so we can put one there, all right? Uh, I don't want anybody on this campus to be thinking, I really need a Bible, and then they don't have one. So just, just take one from the chapel. It's okay, really. It's okay. I'm not going to get in trouble or anything. All right, Exodus. So remember last time we had the whole burning bush thing that happened, and he was really upset about being called by the Lord, and the Lord's like, get over it. This is what you're going to do. Um, it was a little more gentle than that. So Moses and Aaron get together, they go to the Israelites, the very end of chapter 4, verse 30, that's where we pick it up. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and performed the signs in the sight of the people. The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had given heed to the Israelites, that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Let my people go so they may celebrate a festival to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, um, Who is the Lord that I should heed him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. And they said, oh, uh, the, the God of the Hebrews has revealed himself to us. Let's go a three days journey in the wilderness to sacrifice to the Lord our God or he will fall upon us with pestilence and sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their work? Get to your labors. Pharaoh continued, now they are more numerous than the people of the land, and yet you want them to stop working? That same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people as well as their supervisors, you shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But you shall require of them the same quantity of bricks as they have made previously. Do not diminish it, for they are lazy. That's why they cry, let's go and sacrifice an offer to our God. Let heavier work be laid on them. Then they will labor at it and pay no attention to deceptive words. So the taskmasters and the supervisors of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be lessened in the least. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work the same daily assignment as when you were given straw. And the supervisors of the Israelites, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why did you not finish the required quantity of bricks yesterday and today as you did before? Then the Israelite supervisors came to Pharaoh and cried, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. Look how your servants are beaten. You're unjust to your own people. He said, You're lazy. Lazy. That's why you say, Let's go sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, for no straw will be given to you, but you shall still deliver the same number of bricks. The Israelite supervisors saw that they were in trouble when they were told, you shall not lessen your daily number of bricks. As they left Pharaoh, they came upon Moses and Aaron who were waiting to meet them. They said to them, the Lord look upon you and judge. You have brought us into bad odor with Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned again to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you mistreated this people? Why did you ever send me? Since I first came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he's mistreated your people, and you've done nothing at all to deliver your people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand he will let them go. By a mighty hand he will drive them out of his land. This is the word of the Lord. This is not what Moses and Aaron expected. You see, they were all full up. They'd, they'd had a conversation with God. God had given them words. God had given them tools. Staff, whoo, snake, in and out, leprous. Poured on becomes blood. They had tools. They go to the Israelites and they say, we're here, you're liberators. God's heard your cry. And the people go, oh, this is such good news. Oh, finally. It's been so long. And the people bow down and worship. And Aaron and Moses are like, Yeah, they're feeling good. They go before Pharaoh and they're all full of chutzpah. They say, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. Nice. That was nice. Good job. Yeah. Thanks, you too. And Moses is like, um, What? Pharaoh's like, who's the the Lord? I don't know anybody named Lord. Yeah, like, I'm going to let you go. No, no. If you've got this much time to think about planning a little spiritual retreat with all your buddies, you need to be working harder. You need to be working harder. Bunch of lazy people. So here's what actually I'm going to do. I'm going to make you work a little harder. I'm going to make you make bricks without straw. Now, to understand... What this meant, you need to understand a little bit about bricks with straw. Bricks with straw work better than bricks without straw. Bricks are made from river uh, mud and straw, and it's the straw that's the binder that holds a brick together. It keeps it all nice and formed. It's a binder, and if you don't have straw in your bricks, they just fall apart. They flake off. They crack. So straw is a necessary part. And already the people have been working really hard to build these bricks. Already life has been pretty miserable for them. We've already read that. Some of them are still hiding their sons, hoping against hope that they won't have to throw them into the Nile. They've been worked ruthlessly by their Egyptian taskmasters. Life has not been pleasant already, and now they have to go and get the straw to make the bricks because without the bricks, the things won't hold up and the walls won't stand and the buildings will collapse and it will be a nightmare. They have to have the straw. Now, I don't know how many of you have worked with straw or spent time on farms. How many of you? Anybody work with straw, done some bailing? Okay, yeah, straw, miserable, right? Right? My cousins grew up on a farm and in the season when they had to bale all the straw, they were out there working and they were praying that it wouldn't rain. And when the weather was good, you just had to work and work and work and get the straw and they'd throw it up in the loft. And their arms would just be covered with scratches and they'd be raw and bleeding and it would get in their eyes and they'd have to wear these masks. And it's just nasty stuff. It is hard work in and of itself to get straw. That's a hard job. So they already have misery, and now they're going to add, like, hardness. Hardness and misery. Bricks without straw. And so do you notice who goes to Pharaoh to complain about this? The Israelites. The Israelite taskmasters. You see, there was this hierarchy. There was Pharaoh, and then the people who reported to him who were Egyptian, and then there were Israelite taskmasters And the Israelite taskmasters were the ones who got beaten when they couldn't meet their quota. So they go to Pharaoh, and they're like, Seriously? Look at how we're getting beaten. Look! This is not helping productivity. We have deadlines to meet. Are you kidding me? What are you doing here? We need straw. And they say, Do you realize how unjust you're being to your people? Whose people? Do you realize how unjust you're being to your people? Pharaoh says, ah, you're lazy, you're just lazy. And then they find Moses and Aaron and they say, look, we stink to Pharaoh now. We stink to him. Moses goes to God and says, I don't know what you're doing. It seems so good. You know, we didn't even get to do our tricks. I don't know, I don't know what you're doing. You've done nothing so far. I see evidence of nothing. I see a big nothing going on right here. Things go from bad to worse. And this is what happens in oppressive regimes. When a regime has slaves, when it has power over people, it does everything to maintain that power. So when there's a little flicker of hope, a little light that liberation could come, The oppressive regime works to crush it down. Oh, you thought this guy was going to be your liberator? Oh, no, no, no. Let me show you what happens every time this guy comes around. Your life gets worse. Oppressive regimes work to maintain their power. They work to maintain slaves. They work to maintain control We see this globally, don't we? The New York Times had an article this week about an 11-year-old boy who stood up as part of an anti-government protest in Syria. He was tortured. They let him go. They tried to find him again. He wanted to take his exams, but he knew he couldn't come out of hiding, so his principal let him take his exams in secret and then they killed his principal. And then they kidnapped his father and they tortured his father for six weeks asking him where his son was, his 11-year-old son, whom they considered a rebel, a protester. And his father wouldn't crack. And they let him go. And his father and his son and his mother fled the country When oppressive regimes have power, they do everything they can to maintain the power. And when people want power, they do it through fear. We've seen that this weekend, haven't we? People at a mall on a Saturday, like you do. People in a mall in Nairobi, suddenly bloodbath. Because there is an oppressive regime that says, we will control you through fear, we will control you through terror. This very morning, brothers and sisters of ours gathered for worship at a church in Pakistan. And when they came out of church, when they came out of church to gather and share bowls of rice with each other, two suicide bombers blew up and killed 78 Of our brothers and sisters this morning. Things seem to go from bad to worse. People who study the persecution of Christians say that in the 20th century, in the 20th century, there were more Christians martyred than in the previous centuries combined. And they said, so far, the 21st century looks that it could beat it. Every month, 100 Christians are martyred. Right now, today, in the world, every month. Things seem to go from bad to worse. And we can see that personally, too, right? It's not just socioeconomic. It's not just political. It's also personal and spiritual. You decide to do a new spiritual discipline. You've been studying them. You choose one. You seem to practice it. And yet everything seems to be against you, actually building this new discipline into your life. You can't get the time. Something comes up. A meeting happens. You just can't, you can't quite get it in. Everything seems to be conspiring against you. Sometimes students will come into my office and they'll say, Pastor Mary, I want to be free of this thing. I want to be free of this addiction to alcohol. I'm drinking too much. I know it. I need help. Pastor Mary, I'm addicted to pornography. I know it. I need help. And in that moment, I will celebrate with the student. I will say, way to go. Good job. Glad you're here. This is obviously evidence of the Holy Spirit already at work in your life, that you're ready to say no to this addiction and say yes to recovery. Way to go. And so we'll talk about the opportunities for recovery that exist right here on this campus. And we'll pray together, but before we pray together, I will say, now listen. Because you have said out loud that you want to be free, the enemy is going to work very hard on you The temptations for you to drink, the temptation for you to look at pornography, the temptation for you to fall back into the habit that has fed you in some way for so long, the temptations are going to be so strong because there is an oppressive regime that has ruled your life and now there is a glimmer of liberation and the enemy will work as hard as he can to quash it, to squish it, to make it disappear And so in my office, we pray for protection for this student. We set up ways for this student to be around other people because we're dealing with an oppressive regime and it will do everything it can to take you down. And it seems often that things go from bad to worse. And when that happens, we are so tempted to say, Your people are being mistreated, and you have done nothing at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. Indeed, by a mighty hand, he will let them go. By a mighty hand, he will drive them out of the land. Now you will see, says the Lord, what I will do to Pharaoh. And the Hebrew there that's translated in our versions as what I will do can also be translated as what I am already been doing and what I will continue to do. Now you will see, Moses, that I've already been working For years and years and years, I've already been up to something and I will continue to do it. Now you will see. Now you will see. Now you will see that God is the leader of the resistance. Now you will see that God is fighting for freedom. Now you will see. God does not say to Moses, Stop complaining. We've talked about this. I'm with you. Get over it. Shake it off. God does not say to Moses, Well, let me show you my resume of the things I have accomplished thus far. God knows the pain of his people, and he knows that the stakes are so high. They are so high Because this group of people, this motley band of slaves, this group of people needs to know what it means to be free. They need to know what it means to worship a holy God. Because from this motley band of slaves will come the ultimate liberator. The stakes are so high. And because of that, God is ready for the fight. He is ready for the fight. Don't be mistaken. The book of Exodus is a book about a fight. It's a fight between the Almighty God and Pharaoh. No. It's a fight between the almighty God of heaven and earth and the spiritual forces of darkness that have been working and working and working to subvert everything that God is trying to do. The book of Exodus is about a fight. And we will see how the fight unfolds next week as we look at the plagues. It's a fight. The stakes are high. Don't you dare think that when evil is at hand, that God is not already fighting, that God does not already know, because our God is the leader of the fight against the oppressive regime. That's who our God is. So when you research and you read about the persecuted church in the world today, if you go to a website like Open Doors and you get statistics and you read, and you'll hear that the people in the persecuted church, they need things. They need things like books and Bibles. They need things like trauma therapy and counseling. They need people to teach their children. They need lots of things. But the thing that they ask for most is prayer. Because they are very aware that the battle they are fighting is not against some earthly government, but it's the spiritual forces of darkness in this present age. They know. And they know that God is up for the fight. And God is up for the fight. It's so tempting to look across the world and see evil advancing and see that that's oppressing and wonder what God is up to. And we need to remember this word where he says to Moses, now you will see what I have already been up to and what I will continue to do. Because that verb is the same. It's the same in Exodus and it's the same for us. God has been up to things and he will continue to do those things. And we have seasons when we think it's going from bad to worse, and it is so hard to hold on to that hope. And that's why we need to gather it together with the other resistance fighters, with other people who are fighting for freedom, who are refusing to be enslaved. When people come into my office and they talk about addiction, I say, and one of the things you're going to do is get in a group. And they say, oh, I don't want to get in a group. And I say, hey, one of the things you're going to do now is you're going to get in a group. And they say, oh, I really do have to get in a group. That will be so embarrassing to get in a group. Yeah, it will be really embarrassing to get in a group of people who have done the exact same thing you've done and tell them and have them all go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, here, do you want, do you want more peanuts? Like, this is your group. These are your people. Whatever it is. This, by the way, this is our group. Hi, my name is Mary, and I'm a sinner. Thank you, thank you. First step is admitting it. This is our group. These are our people. So I'm reading this great book by a woman who became a pastor. She's pastoring a church out in Denver, and this is a season in her life when she's not yet a pastor. She's very much deep into her alcoholism, which she loves. And someone, her friend suggests that she should get into AA. I wanted to prove her wrong and maybe also get some tips on how to just control myself a little so I could enjoy my drinking without the bother of vomiting. So the next day, I sat pretentiously on an old sofa in the corner of a church basement, certain everyone in the room knew that I was not supposed to be there. It was six days since I'd last had a drink, and my leg wouldn't stop twitching. I was still looking for an affirmation that I wasn't an alcoholic so that, dear Jesus, I could drink again. Marjorie, a leather-faced woman with a New Jersey accent, was talking about prayer or some other nonsense when suddenly a sound like a pan falling on a tile floor below came up through the kitchen below us. I jerked out of my seat like I was avoiding shrapnel, but no one else reacted. Without skipping half a beat, Marjorie turned to me with a long, slim cigarette in her hand and said, honey, that'll pass. She took a drag and went on, so anyway, prayer is. In that moment, I realized, because of how immediately she turned to me and said this, Marjorie knew what it meant to be shaky from not taking a drink. Knew that it was apparently temporary. And she may maybe even knew how to keep from drinking, even though it sucked so much. I was in the right place. The enemy works so hard to keep us enslaved. The oppressive regime rules our life. So that any little glimmer of hope, any little glimmer of liberation, and we say, this isn't me, this really doesn't apply to me, this really isn't my life. And then you've got somebody else who comes in and says, let me tell you this, it may go from bad to worse, but eventually, honey, that'll pass. Eventually, honey, that'll pass. It may go from bad to worse, but eventually, honey, that'll pass. The Lutheran theologian Chuck Coaster puts it like this. He says we can look around and see evil and think that it's it's oppressive and it's unstoppable and it's moving, but the truth is, he said, it's vulnerable. It's vulnerable. He says, Satan rages so hard in this world because he knows that the battle has already been lost. He knows that the battle has already been lost. And so we gather around this table, this table that signifies the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ, the table that signifies that we are set free from oppression and sin and addiction, and we have new life, new freedom in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the old order of things will someday pass away because he has set a table before us in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our head with oil. Our cups overflow. And goodness and mercy pursue us. They run after us. They can't get enough of us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Satan works so hard because he knows the battle has already been lost. And we gather with other freedom fighters around the table. And we take the bread and we drink the cup and we remember these things. We call them to mind and therefore we have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Amen. You pray with me. Oh God, we thank you that you are our liberator. That you long to set us free. It is grace that saves us. It is grace that frees us. We thank you that you have already started to work, to move from bad to worse to better, way better. And so in the seasons when we don't know what you're up to, help us to find our people, help us to find our group, help us to tell our stories so that we can have someone who can say to us, honey, that'll pass. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Our chains are off, and we are free. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.